Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I see a lot of younger women say, I want a six-figure guy, I want a seven-figure guy. Love that, but I'm always interested in how you could become the six-figure person. Mm -hmm. Leaving a very stable situation to build something of your own is very, very scary. It was giving Last Supper, it was giving Judas, I'm not gonna lie. What I could not have been able to foresee was just how catty and bitchy and emotionally draining pushing myself into the motherhood space was. I know that there was a scandal at one point. What happened? Right, lads, we're running into a bit of an issue here where every episode, I want to say it's my favourite episode, and that's becoming a bit problematic because I can't actually say that. So just to let you know, that's the vibes for this episode. I had such a good time recording it. It felt like just having a good chat, which is the best part of podcast recording. Like when you just talk about the things you want to talk about with good people, it honestly makes my day. And lucky for you, it can make your day too because... I'm in your ears. So, hope you enjoy. Candice was amazing in this. I think you're going to have the time of your life listening. Candice Brathwaite is the Sunday Times best-selling author, presenter, journalist, and founder of Make Motherhood Diverse, an initiative fighting for equal representation for mothers and parents. During her first pregnancy, Candice had to order parenting books from America, as the UK hadn't published a single book by a black woman on motherhood. She also shed light on a shocking statistic that black women were five times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. Candice herself has talked about how she had an extremely traumatic birth experience and couldn't be fully present in the first six weeks of her daughter's life. These discoveries and experiences were key contributors to Candice to begin documenting her journey online, keen to represent the realities that young black families face. Her unapologetic and authentic account resonated with her audience and Candice grew in popularity. However, in 2019, she was subject to an online scandal that would go on to change the parenting cyberspace forever. Candice's story is one of passion, resilience, and success, a story that is permanently interwoven with an unwavering determination to do the very best for herself and her family. How's your day been? Good, easier. One kid's broken up from school, mm. so it makes life a little bit easier. Yeah, and it's the older kid, so a lot easier. Do you find it easier when they're broken up from school or when they're at school? When they're at school. Yeah. I am looking at, because my eldest is in a fee-paying school mm. I'm staring down the barrel of eight weeks eight weeks at a time where she's rejected summer camp she's like I'm too old for that no you're never too old for summer <laughs> so, camp if I say you're going to summer camp so, you're off to summer so camp. what are you doing I left her at home emptying out my makeup wardrobe I was like okay here are the baby wipes enjoy put everything back when you're done how old is she eight See, my parents decided that when we were too old for something like that, we would then go and work at them. So oh. really, I mean, I was eight. I don't think she's yet employable. She, so <laughs> she, she's she wanted great, to come I'm with sure. me today, but but also because my kids are so young, I see work as like a break. Mm. I was oh, like, no, 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 no. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, we'll get onto all of this, but I think it's like so interesting when you look at women and like going back to work. I cannot imagine a time where I'd be like, yeah, I'll stay at home. I'll be like... <laughs> Which is really interesting because actually post-pandemic, um, there's been these studies done that I've talked to um, Nicola Kilner, who was on the podcast, mm. and she was essentially saying that there have been studies that have been done. And obviously, men are obviously really excited to go back to work because they're like, get me the fuck out of yeah. here. And then they come home and their housework's yeah. done and like, all of these different yeah. things. Obviously, very stereotypical, but that mm. is the, the it's weighted towards that direction. And then I think of it and I'm like, yeah, I would be really excited to go to work because I get to do for me in the day for and for me in the evening. Exactly. It's a win-win. <laughs> exactly. And that's why we're the men. <laughs> so people can get to know you a bit. I'm sure yeah. they know exactly what you do, who you are and everything, because you are amazing and all over the internet. Um, <laughs> I would love for you to give us kind of an overview of your career 
from the beginning oh to now, all the different things, current career, previous oh careers. Oh my gosh. So I would say to tighten it up, I got here by starting in publishing, actually just over the bridge from where we are recording. Mm -hmm. I was working in marketing for a massive publishers. I actually won a competition to get that job. Amazing. They launched something called The Scheme because they were trying to open up publishing to underprivileged minorities. Mm -hmm. Now that just wasn't in the racial dimension. That's also yeah. money because publishing is notoriously white, middle-class, you went to Oxford. Mm -hmm. So, so many of us applicants didn't have a degree. 4,000 applicants, four jobs, I won a job. That is unbelievable <laughs> statistics. <laughs> Do you, here's the gag. The gag is, um, I don't know about the people who applied before that, but the 50 people I met when we made it to the final, I was the only black woman. So I'm not going to lie to you. I did take a look around the room and I was like, well, yeah, I better right. work out what days I'm working because I don't, <laughs> they're trying to make this diverse. And I don't know. I do know. I know that maybe a lot of younger black people perhaps wouldn't have applied because they felt that was a door that wasn't open to them. And I completely understand that. Worked there. And what I realized, this was in 2014. My daughter was one and a half. What I realized is that advertising was moving away from magazines mm -hmm. and everything was going online. Yeah. Because the bulk of my job was calling these people called bloggers. I was calling bloggers all day. Mm -hmm. How much would you charge us to feature this book? How much would you charge us to host this book party? Da, 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 da. And I was sitting there. And when they told me what they would charge, I was like, girl, you're in the wrong job. <laughs> and I was... Stormed I, out the door. I had a little notebook. Like I was actually making notes. I was like this is the kind of platform they have this like it was very strategic yeah. in my head I was like you're in the wrong job and you're going to do that figure it out so on the side what I started to do was like grow my online brand and then uh, childcare got too much and I, I just had to leave mm -hmm. my kid like I said she was barely two and it was really hard juggling work and childcare and becoming really expensive. So I left and, and in leaving, I found I could go all in on building this online dream, which was a dream because between leaving that job and having a paid job online, it was four and a half years. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so what were you doing in it? So, so you were, your main job was the childcare at that point. Childcare, right? like yeah. housewife vibes. Yeah. My other half was going out to work and there was a lot of, I've been open about this in books, but there was a lot of tension in our relationship mm -hmm. because as hard as it was to uh, supplement childcare, he was like, you leaving that job has taken us right back to ground zero right. in terms of money. Like mm -hmm. we are proper struggling now. And I don't know, maybe it's the Pisces in me. I was like, we're going to make it. We're going to yeah. figure it out. Did I know that figuring it out would take four years? Hell no. Yeah. I perhaps wouldn't have jumped out the boat. But I was like, I'm committed to this now. So why not give it a try? And I'm really, really respectful and thankful to the fact that I was with someone who did stick it out. Mm. But it was deeply uncomfortable. But I always lead with that story because we, I think we hear these fairy tale stories all the time. Yeah, I just grew this following overnight. I, I knew what I wanted to do with my brand. BS. Yeah. The hustle and the grind of like leaving a very stable situation to build something of your own is very, very scary. I also think that we see a lot of the time we notice the people who blow up really quickly. Of course. And I think that actually the majority of people that I've seen with longevity mm. didn't blow up quickly. Or if they blew up quickly, it was after a sustained foundation of building like the content they like to do, all of these things. That, I feel like this whole idea of like virality mm. and especially exacerbated by like, so people will choose the type of content that they want to do based on whether they want to grow I guess mm. because I don't think for example for me I don't think it becomes naturally to me to post a lot of reels mm. because if I'm posting currently it will just be like when I happen to have something to post yeah so with that I'm forfeiting any idea any kind of example of like growth or whatever mm. it might be whereas if you're positioning your account to grow it's a very different like type of content and it is very strategic and you yeah. do have to be very strategic um and I think that it's really interesting when we see this kind of like overnight kind of success story if we're actually going to start looking at the next five ten years especially of the evolution of the content creation and influencer industry mm. it's going to be really really interesting because actually it's going to be an exception to the rule for people to have 
that type of longevity. Yes. Which I think is going to be really, really interesting to see the evolution of. Yes. And my thing was, so I was working in publishing because I knew I wanted to write books. That was always the idea. Right. That was always the root of anything I've ever done. Since I was a kid, I was like, now I'm going to write stories for a living. And I've admittedly taken a very backwards path to it. But you've done it. You've done it I really it. well. Did it. And what I noticed in my time at publishing was how um, the traditional ways of becoming published were going out the window. So it wasn't necessarily even about your talent. Mm -hmm. No. It was, you have this huge platform, publishing is still a business. And I, I, I was watching my publishers approach people mm. who had no interest in writing a book mm -hmm. and be like, oh, would you write this book? And I was like, ah, oh, there we go. A little later down the line, say I had about 20,000 followers at the time, trying really hard to get a book deal. And I remember being told multiple times, you are such a great writer, but come back to us when you have a million followers. I completely get it. And it's the it's the same as everything now. It comes with the platform. So it's, it's great. It's an amplifier. It's a guaranteed success. It's guaranteed it will sell X thousand copies. Fine. I get why that, you know, links mm. to it. Like, it makes complete sense why that would link to a certain advance, all of these types yeah. of things. But it feels unnecessary that it, that comes at the expense of legitimate authors as well. It's, it's so deeply saddening. I think about the books I enjoyed reading growing up and I'm like, imagine if these people were told in this time, go and grow this following. One of my favorite new debut authors, a man called Caleb Azuma Nelson, he wrote a book called Open Waters. He recently just went platinum in the literary world, which is 100,000 plus or more sold. Mm. Barely got 10,000 followers. The work and the PR team spoke for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so this is still a thing. This can still be done. I do believe in publishing. We've got a bit lazy. People have become a bit lazy and they just want that instant hit. But like you said, it's longevity. It's then being able to respect the person and their work. It's, yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of obviously depends on the, if if the metrics that they're respecting and and counting as success within the industry are based on purely on initial sales mm. rather than sales over time. Yeah. And that, and usually that's the case because within business, it's about reporting. So yeah. if you can report on that quarter that X amount happened, then I don't care that you'll be like, but I promise you in two mm. years, someone really big will read this and it'll be an Oprah's book club and all of this. <laughs> like if it, the likelihood is you're, that individual person doing that job is going to get more rewarded if it's a quick win, even if it's less sold down the line. So true, so true. So you'd, you'd left your job in publishing, yeah. you'd worked for four and a half years unpaid mm -hmm. um, as a housewife and as a blogger. Yeah. What came next? What came next was me seeing this gap in the market in the motherhood blogging space. I was, my, ch my child was very young. Mm -hmm. And what I was noticing is that the kind of content I was craving was not being delivered by me. Again, I never, I'm not a strategic person. Well, I don't think I am. But looking back, I, th there was a bit of strategy. Yeah. I was like, there is no black woman there. Cool. That's where I'm going then. Because you want to put yourself in a position where you're going to stand the best chance. What I could not have been able to foresee, and if I could, I wouldn't have bothered, um, was just how catty and bitchy and emotionally draining um, pushing myself into the motherhood space was. Of right. all the spaces, motherhood, you'd think it'd be really kind and nurturing. No, it's like claws out at dawn. And as much as I think many of these women wanted to appear respectful of this new black face coming into this space, behind closed doors, it was a very different story. Do, do you think that was perhaps because it was perceived as a... So, so they have this bubble that mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. works. It's this idea of the kind of like white yummy mummy yeah. um the yeah just like looks a very certain way mm. is almost like even if it's very authentic is almost like selling this lifestyle of like dream motherhood or you know like here are the challenges able to relate on this level that's if that opens up to black women in the way that you were doing it they will never be able to cater in the same way to that market Obviously, because you can say, oh, yeah, I love these nappies. But what you can't say is, oh, yeah, I had this experience in childbirth or yeah. I had, you know, I experienced this with mums in my like class or like, yeah. whatever, whatever it might be. There's a, obviously it's experiential mm -hmm. and therefore that presents itself as almost like a threat to what mummy blogging had become yes. because that was very comfortable and if they're cre if there's an area of the industry that you're not then able to cater to 
and you're catering to that, I can imagine that being quite threatening to people who didn't see it as a great thing. <laughs> maybe someone will be able to see themselves reflected in the online sphere. Yeah, I, I admit that I completely bulldozed that industry. I um, always spoke my mind at a time when that wasn't popular mm -hmm. and it was deeply uncomfortable to do because I'm just one of one. There, were, there weren't 50 other black mums behind me. Right. Black mums, and I've said this before, black mums, and I, I, I know there was no shade in it. They thought I was crazy. And they were like, you're so crazy for trying to disrupt this industry. It's horrible. They're all going to turn against you. Like, uh, rightfully so, a lot of black women who tried to get into that space had their guard up. Mm. But I was like, oh, F it. I'm just, I'm a little bit hell-bent sometimes. I'm like, I'm going to give it a try. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they were right. It did, it did blow up, not necessarily in my face, but that space did blow up with me at the center of certain TNT moments, because I was like, this is absolutely rubbish. Like, how are you acting like this is the only version of motherhood that exists? Um, again, though, looking back, it was a disruption that needed to happen. So I'm happy I stuck Yeah, out. absolutely. And I think the, there's so much to be said for protecting your energy mm. and for saying, actually, of course, this is the good fight, but I am not gonna have it. <laughs> and like, I do think as a society, we put a lot of pressure on black women to be able to be like, oh, but you go and change this because it needs to be changed. Yeah. It's like, okay, but actually this is also my life. And yes. I don't want to spend the next five years like fucking fighting this when actually like, yeah. This is like, and I'm see. missing out on joyful elements mm. of my life. I'm now very much hashtag soft life, black girl luxury, mm. all of that. Don't want to lift a finger. But at that time when I understood um, how carving this career was literally make or break, I was like, there are some bullets I'm just going to have to take. And thank fucking God you did as well, because you've now created a space. Well, you've proved the concept as a mm. whole, but you've also created a space for other people to be able to do the same. Yeah. And for you to have taken that, I, I think one of the most frustrating things I'm sure about it was you were almost forced to do activism when you almost just wanted to be like, I'm a mummy blogger. <laughs> like I'm talking about my fucking children and mother, sorry, I swear so much, but like, and motherhood. And you're making me be an activist. Literally. Like, I want to talk about nappies and the fact that I I find this it hard to go on holiday with my children. Like, and I said to my husband, we were having, I'm finding myself at a point in my life, in my career, especially in the UK, where I'm the first up to bat mm. in a lot of scenarios, living in this body, looking like me. I'm, and I said to him, I'm like, I'm sick and tired of being the first up to bat, dude. Mm. There is so much pressure that comes with that and so much blowback. Like, can't some, can't I, can't I be three people back? Mm. And he, he always says like, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Like yeah. it's literally just your destiny. He, he just shrugs because he's like, you're going to complain. I'm going to go boohoo. You're still going to do it. We'll figure yeah. it out later. We know how this goes, but it just felt good to express that it's tiring. And, and also have that recognition that it's not, it's not just you, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and making a career. If, if someone else who was white within that space wanted to do that, they wouldn't have had to have the emotional baggage in the same way. At of course all. it would have still have been hard in certain yeah, ways, yeah, yeah. but that's not to say that you literally like fighting against the grain, against the system and against, against even like algorithms, what we know <laughs> is promoted. Like we literally. know that, you know, even, so, so we talk about this a lot at Tala, for example, different example, but we talk about the fact that, so we always use the same proportion of models across sizes. So we yeah. always use an extra small or small, mm -hmm. a medium and a large and extra large. Every yeah. single e-com shoot, it's just always what we do algorithmically we post an, and <laughs> the problem is is that we we won't stop yeah. regardless but people okay so slim people are used to shopping from slim bodies so are plus size people mm. they're used to being able to see like okay i'll work out what this will look like based on me yeah. because i always see someone who's a size two online yeah. the other way around it's not it's not applicable. And that is what algorithms are doing because mm. if you're, say, if you're a black woman who's been used to shopping from, you know, white mummy bloggers because they say something's good, great, you're still going to like that person's content. Yeah. The other way around, because it's not represented as the quote-unquote, like, mainstream, yeah. it's not promoted in the same way because white women, because they haven't seen black women in the media as something that they need to be, that is just essentially normal. normal. It, they literally... <laughs> No, <laughs> they, they, it, it won't be consumed in the same way. So it's mm. it's the it's black women's content for black women, white women's content for everyone, which is going to have a natural cap on it. Mm -hmm. Which you're also just flipping all of that. Yeah.
which yeah. is a big fucking and thing looking, to do. looking at the numbers my especially online my audience is predominantly white my my readership is predominantly white and it's not even something i wanted to achieve and i think now i just use that data to be as black as possible mm. it's quite funny like the the larger my white audience gets the blacker i become because i'm like oh i'm in a position of education mm-hmm. now like i'm not going to edit or filter because i see that this audience is less black i i love black women i am a black woman black women don't need to learn shit from me because they are me you know so if anything i'm like yes white women read this material because you are now raising the kids that i need you to educate in a certain way that is going to change certain things for my children and their children one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your healthcare That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Again, just a, a big load to bear though like when oh you're like girl. i just want to post about my this, breakfast this is why i'm constantly <laughs> looking for a holiday i'm like i'm very tired yeah it's a it's a huge amount of emotional labor so when when you began that and you mm. say that you experienced this kind of this cattiness i know that there was a quote-unquote scandal at one point where a <laughs> a white mummy blogger within the space yeah. was essentially found out to be posting anonymously on forums about other people within the space on oh. under a pseudonym under an account you were one of those people oh. what happened in that scenario <laughs> this feels really funny because i feel like i've not spoken about this in this kind of um way before and it it, it feels so far removed I know that many people knew about what she was doing for a, a lot longer than I did. Maybe say six months, six weeks really? to a month before that that situation had already been brewing. Classic candies. I I never know what's happening. I'm just like <laughs> to the point that she invited me to a dinner. I think it was four days before this scandal ended up on the cover of every newspaper. So right up until the wire, it was giving very much the Last Supper. It was giving very. <laughs> it was giving. <laughs> it was giving Last Supper. It was giving Judas. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I am not Jesus, but it was giving very much Judas. And I leave the dinner and I I'm feeling relieved because for a long time it felt like there was so much tension in that space and there were so many women I enjoyed seeing. Bro, uh, a few days later these DMs start flooding me. Have you seen what she said about you? Da-da-da-da. What Here's the thing. What are you going to say? The DMs were like I feel like you should be the one mm. to considering she spoken about you in a racist manner. You sh- see that once that- again you're fighting the fight. that wait that go i deleted them dm so quick i said geez i don't want no piece of this yeah. and wherever these chips will land so they will the scandal broke i think she put up this awkward story on social media um was it done on the notes app no 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 it was in stories sure. it was a story it was a story in the stories um i had my bloody child minder call me because like this is in the paper my child minder's reading like Oh my gosh, are you okay? Like this was a very public story. Um I got a WhatsApp from her that said, uh, give me the chance to explain myself. That was the WhatsApp. Blocked immediately because yeah. that is not the first no. message you should be hitting me with. Mm-hmm. There is no explanation around no, this. That's very self-serving. But in that moment, and here's what's really interesting, even though I'm the one being publicly and digitally accosted as a black woman, I felt like I couldn't defend myself. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, what me and my PR team do is we always say silence can never be misquoted. I went 
mute. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a pip to be said. There was nothing on the internet. There were a lot of black women with massive platforms who I'm so grateful to them because they spoke for me in a way mm -hmm. that they knew. They even said on their podcasts, on Twitter, they were like, Candice can't speak right now. Mm. Because e even if she says, oh my God, I'm so hurt, you're going to find a way yeah. to reframe that. And then that. it's also one v one, you versus them, rather than you've, something's happened that's put me in a situation that I didn't ask to be in. At all. I'm now having to take move my work, take time out of all of this to, de to defend myself in a position that I didn't even put myself in. I didn't in. even put myself in. Um, that also has much larger connotations. Much larger connotations. The biggest connotation being at the time, I don't know what she's doing now, but at the time she was a, a registered midwife for the NHS. She was working as a midwife in a very densely populated black area, delivering people's babies. And to know that behind the scenes, she was discussing me in a racist manner is deeply problematic. Number one, the stats. So black women at that time, they were five times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts. I think it's come down to four now. Okay. But I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm like, mm, no, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? And guess what? In that moment, as saddened as I was, I was like, I'm a very law of attraction universe type gal. Mm. I did look up to the stars and I was like, yet again, I am just the subject for the teaching. This isn't even about me. That situation to me became a representation of the insidious racism within our health service. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even Candice versus her. It was this on this level of minutia in this tiny social media pocket is a grave reflection of what's going on in the outside world. Now to this day, I've never spoken to her, wouldn't care to, but I am, I don't know why my friends who supported me at that time think I'm crazy. I'm so empathetic. I'm just like, babe, I wish you well from afar. And I do wish you well. You had young kids at the time, they're still young. And I could only imagine if the roles were reversed, mm -hmm. you know, the bullying that could happen at school. I'm empathetic of that scenario, never her actions because they're still so painful and it was so unjust. But yeah, that was... But it's also, it's almost like you don't need to hold the the hate for that for years as much yeah. as you would have every single right to. It also, I, I can imagine it wouldn't serve you. It doesn't serve me. And do you know what? I'm just doing so well. Mm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Getting it tattooed. Do you know what? I wish I had hair to flick, but I'm just like, I'm really thriving. And so... To like live in that space all you need. is not helpful. Yeah. Also, in some respects, she did me a great favor because that scenario stripped me of shame. It stripped me of trying to pretend mm. or play. I don't know why I came out the other end of that and I was like, and I will never tap dance for you guys again. Now you get the content I want to deliver with me not thinking I have to appease a certain audience. Like if this is how you feel about me in real life, now you're gonna get how I feel mm. in real life. And I think up until that point, I had been so aware of the infrastructure of the mummy blogging space and the politics of social media mm. that I had played it tremendously safe. And as painful as that was, it was like watching the phoenix rise from the ashes. I look back on that situation, I'm like, Kennedy, scroll, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, it freed you in a way and allowed you to just be like, well, if that's what I do, if that's what I get when I'm doing fuck all, watch May. me rock this boat. <laughs> watch me rock this fucking boat. Yeah. Exactly. And how do you find the sphere now? I don't. I <laughs> she don't find it at all? I'm, I haven't. I've got a four-year-old and an eight-year-old, and yes, I still talk about being a mummy, but for some reason, I don't know if it's because, you know, it, times have changed or maybe because my head isn't there. I don't even think a mummy blogging space exists. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really great. I think there are individual content creators that might talk about motherhood or parenting, but there is no clique. And that's really important because what was happening, whether we liked it or not, is women online were feeling like they weren't up to par with us myself included, because if they see you always at the same events or you're always going to dinner together, it does appear that they're on the outside and this is the in thing to do. Watching that being broken down, I couldn't care less for it now. Mm. And not just in a mummy blogging space, in any space. 
I'm not coming to your shit fucking party. I'm not air kissing people. I don't, I just don't have the energy mm. for it. Like, am I invested in you and your brand or your message? If I'm not, Candice is not present. Mm -hmm. Which is powerful and also probably a lot more, oh, a lot nicer. Peaceful. <laughs> so peaceful. So you've spoken before about originally how you, before you, were a mother yeah. how it wasn't necessarily something that you saw in your future mm. and I think this is so important online yeah. um because I think that you know we've spoken about um before actually how there's almost this kind of not just external stigma but kind of internal stigma of being like oh do I do I need to and if I don't mm. do I need to know whether I do want to kind of like all of these different things but just being able to have like almost just not able to not needing to have any reasoning and just being like no oh, yeah, yeah, not yeah. Me now. I'm maybe not ever. Maybe adjust how I'm sitting. Oh, yeah, Sorry, you guys. Go I'm a bit like. That's about. Yeah, my first book, "I'm Not Your Baby Mother," opens with my, me discussing my abortion. Mad, because you've picked up this book to be like all oh, Black British motherhood, and that's the first chapter. And I think that was really important because there are so many women that go on to be what we see as really great, capable mothers who made the decision not to do it at one point or another in their life. I think historically where we're at with the Roe v. Wade situation, stories like that are more important than mm -hmm. ever. Because I tell you what's doing my nut in, and I understand the reasoning. It's the soliloquies behind that I've had an abortion because, yeah. story. You know, it's like, oh, you know, health or I don't need your story. Mm. It is okay to just say, I didn't want a baby. Full stop. Put a cap on it. You don't owe anyone your truth or a sob story, your body, your choice. And so, yeah, um, eldest daughter syndrome, I, especially in the black community, I played a very active role in raising other people mm -hmm. um and so when it was time for me to start thinking about motherhood I was like god, god no. <laughs> no I've just found freedom yeah. like set me free mm. and so when I did fall pregnant the first time there was not even a smidge in my mind not mm. a smidge what was actually very clear in my mind was how difficult it was going to be how frustrated i was going to be and further down the line i had a deep feeling i would resent the person i was pregnant for and that would overflow to mm -hmm. my unborn child i knew that and i think what we see a lot now across various communities is that resentment unfolding in parental child relationships because maybe women were at a time where abortion wasn't even a choice. Mm -hmm. And then they've had these children and now we're all just this clusterfuck of generational trauma because there was no one to hold that woman or even that girl's hand and say, there is another choice. Mm -hmm. And because I could see down the line about the kind of mum I would be if I made that choice at that point, not fair on me, most importantly, not fair on the kid. And I think that when we look at it in this kind of binary way of like, do you want kids or not in the in the, this discussion of abortion and actually you saying, I would have been a very different mother oh. if I had had that child at that point. <sighs> Whereas being able to say now, like, I, I really do my best. I think I'm a great mother. I'm great at my, you know, career. I'm yeah. breadwinning, like all of these various different things. And actually when we reduce it to this thing of like, oh, I just don't want children at the moment or mm. I don't want children or I would have died if I didn't have an abortion any of these kind of different things it's actually just being able to be like you know we know that obviously much bigger conversation but we know that having abortion for example does not stop abortions yeah and all that all that does it allows us to categorize what we think is good and what we think mm. is bad and I hate it it's like okay she would have died that's a that's a good choice mm. oh you just feel like you weren't ready bad choice hate that again their body their choice not interested I and I knew and I'm so grateful I was in a space uh, mentally and literally by virtue of postcode and where I was born to make that choice because now I'm a sick mum and there is not a person in the land who can come and be like oh your motherhood's a bit whack bro no 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 I, my daughter at least twice a week she's like mum of the year award like she just runs into my office and shouts that and kisses me and runs out i'm like no i really rock this yeah. because i was committed to it you and, know yeah and because you've been allowed allowed to do that in your own 
time and your own space and the way you wanted to do it. Yeah. I think that's really, really powerful. And I, I, when you decided then to have children, Mm. was, was there a change in your head in that time? Was it kind of a, do you know what? Yeah. (laughs) The biggest change was the guy. Mm. It was the guy for all intents and purposes, because I'm a massive TikTok fan and I know this is a big discussion when women hit a certain age. They're like, I, I like this guy, but he has a kid. And for, I viewed that as a positive. So I'm a stepmom to a 14 year old. Mm-hmm. My husband has a daughter who was born before we got together. And when I saw how he was with her, I was like, yes, golden ticket. Thank you. Yes, please. It was a great example of what he could be to the idea of my future kids. And I feel really lucky again that I was able to have that example because I know there are so many women who, for one reason or another, you know, no woman, in my opinion, um, has children with a man who they think is going to F them over. Mm. So I hate even that discussion where it's like, oh, you should have known better. No one steps up to that plate thinking that this guy's going to cheat or be abusive or that's never the thing. Mm. Um, So I feel like I just got lucky at being able to foresee the kind of guy I was having the kid with because I always knew I'd be a working mum. Like, yeah, I wasn't just going to mum. And just mumming is great. Guess what? Just mumming is hard. Yeah. It's harder than being a working mum. I know that I would want to work. (laughs) Not to leave them. I'm like, I've got to go work now. Um, (laughs) I knew that I wanted to still build a massive empire and fulfill all my dreams. Mm. And what was going to make the difference in that is the literal partner. Absolutely. And also also knowing that knowing exactly what you want out of life and you want to build this empire, you want to have your dreams, all of these different things. Mm. That almost, I can imagine, allows you to be a better mother because if you're feeling constantly resentful in any way whether it's because of partner whether it's because of situation whether it's because of any of these things but feeling kind of partially resentful of the fact that either you don't know your dreams or you're not pursuing them in some way it that can be hugely harmful to a child as well so harmful and I'm able to now like not just divvy up my time but be honest with my kids about where my time is four-year-old doesn't care so much my eight-year-old is extremely active in my calendar Mm. right says you're going out at one where are you going Esme you're going to be at school it doesn't matter doesn't care why are you going there what time you and it allows me to be like that's mummy time that's me going to work Mm. that's me feeling fulfilled and I hope especially with my daughter that allows her to make a note in her mind and be like right if I decide to have kids I can divvy up my calendar I can be honest and say that's not an us thing Mm -hmm. that's a her thing like she wanted to come with me to work today after this I think I'm gonna have quite a boozy lunch I was like "Mm -mm." (laughs) that's not for you (laughs) adult time she was like I get it I love you that's important for her to see as well Mm. so yeah and and I think I I love (laughs) again it's on TikTok but I love (laughs) I love seeing those things where it's essentially understanding the other way as well and being like mm. you can have your time too yeah. as a child and you, you are empowered yes. to have that like that of course you, you don't want me to come along to your play date like exactly. that is your time too and you get to ring fence off your own time and you'll you get to have those boundaries mm. which I think is a conversation that's only really shot up in the past few years of being like kids can have boundaries too and yeah. allow themselves to just be like actually this is my space yeah and she needs it and I appreciate that and I hope me doing that for myself encourages her to do she does that so well though because mm. we just moved house and she I say lives she lives on the top floor by herself she's very good at like I'm going to my apartment don't call me I <laughs> like, love that's literally that. her she is living my dream <laughs> life <laughs> <laughs> what type of life do you want for your kids that you've kind of that you that your work is opening Mm. them up to um guys don't shoot me for this but this is a very important conversation nepotism especially in the black community Mm -hmm. I want my kids to be like don't you know who my mum is I feel like other communities have had such headway in mm-hmm. doing that or being like, mm, I really, I, I don't know, mum, I, I want to spend the summer at Vogue. Can you help with that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like getting them places a little bit quicker mm. is really important to me. Well, because it's not about, I think the thing is with, with white nepotism in, which is pretty much the majority <laughs> of nepotism, um, it's kind of, that's about skewing the playing field like, 
for people who are listening on audio, but from one level to another. Yeah. Whereas that playing field's already like that. So yes. it's about heightening that gap. Yeah. Whereas with that building generational, and I, I see in black communities a lot online speaking about building generational wealth mm -hmm. and, and building that idea of kind of nepotism from that idea it's rather than thinking of it as unleveling the playing field again think of it in terms of if you think of all the systemic yeah. kind of challenges in terms of getting there it's more like leveling the playing field than it is like yeah so we're out of creating balance. that disparity it's literally like creating a, a way to play catch up mm. and so for them to be like oh do you know who my mum is can you help with that that for me biggest vibe that's always every decision I make I do try and think 20 years ahead and I'm like is this going to be helpful to them going here or being yeah I'm always thinking like that and you've spoken openly as well about kind of the idea of being the breadwinner mm. um, and that not necessarily, I mean, we all know necessarily that that's not kind of what's seen <laughs> as um, the norm with yeah. women or the traditional, you know, things like the primary caregiver, all of these um, various different things that we have clear stereotypes of. What do you, do you think that that's kind of had a big impact on your children in terms of the way they see you as a woman and your career? Definitely. My husband makes a point, you know, when my daughter or my son asks for something he's like I've got to speak to mum and my daughter the other day was like dad can I ask you a question she said and this is really interesting given the situation we've raised her in she said you're the man of the house why do you always consult mum like you're a big man make your own decisions and he was like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. This, <laughs> this is so out of balance with what we've been trying to teach you but it shows how like all consuming outside media is mm. or discussions she may be having with her friends and he was like honey in this house what your mum says is really important and really valued and so she was like right get it and in terms of being the breadwinner and this is another conversation I've been dying to have. Again, TikTok has got all these things flowing in my mind. I see a lot of younger women saying they're mid-20s. I want a six-figure guy. I want a seven-figure yeah. guy. Love that. Know your worth. Want a guy who's doing A, B or C. But I'm always interested in how you could become the six-figure person. Mm -hmm. Life is short, but it can also be really long mm -hmm. and things are always changing. For a, a long portion of time, for those four or five years, my husband was the breadwinner. No one batted an eyelid at that because that's the norm. That's the societal norm. And then in the middle of the pandemic, he left a job that was literally draining his soul. Mm -hmm. And I became the breadwinner. We just don't see it like that in, that, in our household. This pot has got to get filled up anyhow. Mm -hmm. Don't care who's doing the yeah. filling. This is what the house needs. Who's dumping into this reserve? Also, at this time where I'm being the breadwinner, I'm already thinking five years down the line where I may want to take a career break. Mm -hmm. And now he's going to have to step in. So I just find the breadwinning conversation really interesting because in our house, it's just a flip-flop. It's been really good, I would say, for my confidence. I can't lie. It allows me to know that or believe that outside of our union, I can survive. And that's really important for all women, specifically black women who for... And I think a, a lot of our older aunties, as we call them in the community, they still struggle with this. They're stuck in relationships they can't leave because they, they believe they can't be financially free. So to know that I can pour into my household in a way that is usually expected of men fills me with a lot of confidence. And it's a big thing for women as well. I think that in general, the idea of financial independence as a almost just creating your freedom in a way that it's not going to, you know, it's not going to create complete freedom. You mm. can still want someone who does yeah. X, Y, and Z. But I do think there's this kind of slight danger in the conversation. And of course, from like my position, I my career started very young. I've come from a like big mm. position of privilege. Like in terms of that, I can't, you know, shout from the rooftops, like just be financially no, then you won't need like, <laughs> I, of course I can't. But in terms of actually this glamorization of, I want a man who does X, Y, and Z, and it almost just kind of flipping the conversation again, that kind of worries me. And it's like, yes, know your worth, know what you want from a man, 100%, but please, more so than that, know what you want from yourself. Also, I've been with, I've been with really rich men, really rich, horrible men. And they're so stingy, <laughs> and they just, 
they see women like that as so interchangeable. Mm. It's like buying a new pair of trainers because they know you are dependent upon them in that manner. And I would much rather a hardworking five-figure guy mm. who is going to exalt me to a place where I get to be an eight-figure gal mm. than, than, than the six or seven-figure guy who is always going to try and oppress me. Well, it just also, I think, always creates a power imbalance because yeah. no matter what no matter what that if that difference is large in some way and I'm not saying that it shouldn't be and there'll be mm. relationships that really do work in it and all of that but actually from from certain kind of like friends I've seen for example when that has been quite a different waiting if you have an argument and you you know you're on a holiday that the kind of like they uh, I would just I don't <laughs> in the situation where it's like I can't tell you not to do something or ask you not to x y and z or have an argument and it not be already weighted based on the fact that you paid for this holiday so, or this dinner <laughs> in my second book sister sister i talk about this really well in the black community well in my house we used to call it gvm your get vex money mm. Yeah. Are you in a position to get vex? Mm. Do you have enough money to be angry and back your chat? Because like you said, you could be on holiday where you're like, I don't really want him looking at other girls. You don't have your GVM. Mm. So you feel like you can't say that. Because mm. how, how are you getting home if he's going to be like, and there's a lot of them that will, well, if you don't like it, leave. I also <laughs> worry that it's making young men like broke to keep up with the whole oh, thing. It's so funny. It's not funny. It's the way you said. It. Like, <laughs> like broke and that they're. But I'm just like worried. Like when we when we create this ideal that like you have to be. Sorry, this is so off topic for everything we've ever talked about. But I think it's really interesting when we create this ideal that it's like oh you're fucking 21. It's like, he has to take me to Novikov on the first date. And it's like, you're not spend his rent money. So broke, <laughs> so unsustainable. Also then, I think it doesn't um, encourage young men to double down on the things that, and you will need this if you decide to have kids. You might just want a man who is going to help you change your mm. sanitary towel mm. on God. In that moment, what's in his bank balance doesn't matter. Mm. Is he emotionally mature enough to deal with the realities of helping you become a parent or um, supporting himself in becoming, do you know what I mean? There's just so, I, it's such a cliche and I know people listening are gonna be like, it's because you're rich enough to say that, but there are literally some things money can't buy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, again, I can't say that. <laughs> I'd be rich as shit, so I'll just I'll let you say that and I'll move on. <laughs> But no, I think, I think it is so important. I do worry about the role of social media. In, like, I think it's really interesting, like the way social media talks about dating and talks mm. about building yourself up for your future and asking for things from, from people. I think it's really, really important to know what you want from mm. dating and, and all of those things. But I do also like worry about the repercussions it has. And for, for young, do you find that as well as people following you from, I, I mean, I, I know the answer to this. I know lots of different, I follow you. I know lots of different types of people um, follow you. Do a lot of young women, do you think, follow you in terms of like the kind of lifestyle and who yeah. you are? And Yeah, um, especially on TikTok. When I run into TikTok followers on the street, they're all barely 25. Mm. I love them, but you can smell the SMA on them. I'm like, <laughs> you guys are so <laughs> and some of them will literally be like, Auntie can do something like, oh my God. Um, and I just, every other story or video or book, I try to remind people that this is still an edited, curated life. I'm always going to give you the good with the bad. You see, so many people are like, black love, couple goals. I'm like, and he wasn't making six figures. Mm. And we were really broke. Mm. Do you know, like, don't, again, don't just fall into this, this idea of this ideal lifestyle. There is so much that has had to happen to get to this point and allow that to happen. 26, I just had Esme. We were literally choosing between topping up the gas meter and nappies, mm. no word of a lie. And I knew what I wanted but I just didn't know how I was going to get there. Mm. That's the reality of most 20-somethings. I don't want them coming to my page and I'm almost 35 and them thinking, oh, you know, I need to play catch up or what has she got right 
that I'm not doing. Girl, I've been doing a whole heap of nothing. Mm -hmm. And actually, when, you know, there used to be this book, I'm really showing my age now, there used to be this show called This Is Your Life, where this guy used to give you a massive red book and he'd like go through the monumental moments of your life. There are totally going to be more pitfalls and tears than triumphs and like, ooh, ooh, you know what I mean? I just don't think we get to see that. So I'm always trying to be um, as real as possible so that I'm not like leading people down this garden path yeah and and how do you manage to do that whilst also keeping your boundaries so kind of creeping mm. this transparency and showing people the realistic kind of life online living and learning always mm. a lesson so with this house there have been so many cries for a house tour mm. and I made a video the other day I was like babes back up like Candice five years ago would have done that because I existed in my ego mm -hmm. and I wouldn't I wasn't yet in therapy and I would have needed outside validation mm -hmm. for this achievement. And that would have been house tour, the likes, the dopamine. Oh, you've done so well. Congrats. Yeah, I promised mine four years ago. Bro, <laughs> never do it. And I was like, guys, it's never coming. I shoot content mm. from my house. You're going yeah. to gonna see bits and bobs. But that desire to have strangers tell me I've done a good job, mm. it's just left the chat, mm. you know. And so it's creating those boundaries as I go. The way I would have shared or spoke about my kids five years ago, it's left the chat. Esme is old enough to be like, don't put your phone down, <laughs> put your phone down. And I have to be respectful of that. And it's living and learning. There are things I wished I'd never shared. Um, there are things I wished I had shared more because there's yeah. even that. But it's just, you know, it's about every day waking up and being like, no, I just don't feel like doing that. And what do you see your future looking like in terms of your career? What's the big goal? What's the... <sighs> the big goal? Um, the big goal is always freedom and flexibility. Mm -hmm. So to be able to not be stuck in one place, mm -hmm. I'm massive on traveling, um, to be able to employ girls that look like me, that's mm -hmm. such a big vibe. Mm -hmm. I'm always like trying to look for really hungry young black people. Um, yeah, and to just be free creatively as well. Mm -hmm. And to be free of, and this, this takes time, but to be free of the algorithm. Mm -hmm. The people I look up to have changed over the years. Um, none of them are quote unquote famous. Mm. They're like a, a really great VC person mm. or an investor no one's heard of. Mm. Um, that's kind of where I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be the bougie auntie you can't recognize. Love that. <laughs> She's going to disappear one day. Like, like, where's she gone? She's going to be. I keep beach. saying this. When you guys see the socials crumble, I've made it. Yeah. Just <laughs> when you start looking for me. There's nothing wrong. There's, it's the opposite. Everything's right. <laughs> I'm so good that I have decided to I've fuck decided off. to that part. <laughs> yeah, it is the the more and more I talk to people who've been online for a long time as well. Long I think time. it's really interesting to see the like um I've kind of said this before but the evolution of it and actually looking at like no one's going to want to be online for 20, for 20 years, years. Whereas a normal career is 40 years, you know, you know I mean? 45 years. No. So, so where are they going? When I, when I am stable enough to delete all socials, please mm. know, guys, that I'm Auntie Candice is doing very, very well. She's good. She's fine. She's more than fine. Don't go looking for Don't. her. <laughs> and I think that is a perfect place to stop. Thank you so much for coming. This Thank has you been for great. I feel me. like this has been cathartic. It's been very, I knew we wouldn't stick to one thing. It's been very all over the place. But yeah, hopefully... like give you a brief at the beginning of the episode, be like, oh, these could be the topics. And we're like, fuck it. <laughs> Who needs that? But thank, thank you, you so much. You've thank been you. fantastic. It's been great. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com